Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, moms, to all the moms in this room, to all the moms joining us online. We hope you feel blessed and encouraged and loved today. We're so grateful for your selflessness and your sacrifice and all that you pour out day after day. Moms, you deserve far more than a day, but at least you have this day uh, where we especially draw attention to it and, and just thinking about you today and and also thinking about this is a, a difficult day for many. You know, for some here, this is your first Mother's Day where this past year you said goodbye to your mom. And so it's that all the, the stages of grief and loss. And so Mother's Day hits that. And then there's maybe some in the room that have a strained relationship with mom. That when the subject of mom or mother comes up, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And you long for it to be different and it's still unresolved. And then there's still some who this day is a longing, right? You long to be a mom, and today reminds you that that prayer remains unanswered to this point. And so just thinking of all of you and the full spectrum of what this day represents, and I'm so glad you're here today for this message, because today we're with David in what is arguably his most famous moment. This is his David and Goliath moment in the Valley of Elah. And as I was praying for today, I just thought about, here's the common ground for all of us today. We all have our own personal Goliath at some level. Every single one of us is dealing with some nine-foot giant, right? Be that on the home front, be that on the health front, the work front, the financial front, the parenting front, the marriage front, the ministry front, or some hidden front, or all the above fronts. Every single one of us is in the Valley of Elah staring at some Goliath. And so this morning, as we dive into 1 Samuel 17 together, here's my prayer, that with God's help, we'll get some some insight on how Goliath can fall in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles, 1 Samuel 17. If you haven't pulled out your notes yet, you received them in the bulletin. If you want to download the app, you can get those electronically that way as well. The setting for 1 Samuel 17 is the Valley of Elah. I got to visit the Valley of Elah in 2017. Here's a picture uh, when I strolled in. It's our bus stopped and we all piled out and our tour guide took us down into the valley. And it's, a, it's about 15 miles west of Bethlehem. And it's a, it's, 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 it's a mile wide at the bottom, and in the center there's a ravine, and you can see that's where I walked out to that area, and during certain times of the year, during the spring rains especially, that ravine has flowing water in it. That'll make sense a little bit later, but during the time of the year we were there, it was bone dry. So what they allowed us to do is we actually got to walk into the Valley of Elah, and we got to take a stone with us. So this is one of the smooth stones that our tour guide did the best he could possibly do to show us a general area where David would have probably gone to for the stone and the size. And when, when, you, when you hold it and when you feel it, so this is, now when you're in the Valley of Elah and you see this rock bed, so during certain times of year you can't get to that rock bed because the stream's flowing so strong. And then when the, rock, when the stream dries up, you can go down into the rock bed and they let you take a stone from the Valley of Elah. So I put it in my suitcase and we were coming back, come through LaGuardia, 
TSA agents, New Yorkers. You know how that kind of thing goes, right? TSA, New Yorkers. So they stopped my bag because I guess from a TSA agent side, like a really dense material like a rock like this, this is bad news, I guess, on the, you know, like that sets off all the alarms or whatever. So they pull my bag aside and they're like, hey, whose bag is this? You know, like ready to read me the riot act. And I was like, yeah, it's me. And I had like like five or six of these rocks. I was giving away to some family. So I said, why are you bringing a bunch of rocks back? I mean, kind of like the condescending, you're an idiot tone going on. And, and I said, well, I said, sir, they're, they're not like any rocks. And he goes, what do you mean they're not like any? They're just rocks. I said, well, they're from the Valley of Elah. And he stopped right there. And he goes, wait, he said, I've heard that before. I said, well, David and Goliath? He said, like, the David and the Goliath? And like the Valley of Elah, as in Israel, he said, I said, yeah, that, that's where they're from. And his eyes got so big. He says, I know that story so well. He said, you mean these stones right here in this bag came from Israel, from the Valley of Elah, where they think David really took Goliath out? I said, I said yeah, that, that's what they're for. He goes, this is amazing. He go, and he just stopped. He just held his hands up like this. He goes, sir, could I like touch them? <laughs> I said, well, I guess. So he opens up the suitcase. You know, the socks and the shorts, he scoots everything away, and he reaches his hand down, and he, and he pulls one up. He pulls up, and he goes, guys, and he calls all of his TSA buddies over now. He goes, guys, guess what this is? This is a rock from the Valley of Elah. So all the TSA guys from the surrounding area start coming over now, and they're all, like, touching the rock. Meanwhile, it's New York, and it's LaGuardia, and it's backing up. You know, not the kindest words coming my way at this point, right? Get this thing moving, what's going on, and all that. And then just and they were all like touching it and taking pictures. And he says, I can't wait to tell my wife what happened to me today. He says, whatever we're dealing with right now, something big's about to happen is all he said. And he sticks it back in the bag. He goes, thanks so much for sharing your rocks. And off I went. So, so Mr. Kniff, I'd like you to come up and take, we're going to pass the rock around. We'll start right here, all through the message. Permission, right? All through the message, get up, circulate it through. Thanks, Chris. And then, now listen, um, I recognize I'm handing someone a really nicely shaped stone, right? <laughs> no, just kidding. I just thought about, that's great. If you really don't like a part of the message, you don't have to throw it up this way. For That's fine. But when it gets back, hopefully by the end of the message, it makes it all the way back. Ushers, help me out back there whenever it gets to this. Make sure we get to the baby parking lot. Hey, baby parking lot back there. It's always great having the newest members. Can we give them a round of applause back there? Always our newest members to the Eagle family. We'll make sure the rock gets back to you as well, and then ushers can collect it back there. But, but here's the point. As you're holding the rock, and as you kind of run your hands over it, I just want you to set yourself in this particular geographic area. You're down in this valley, and on the eastern slopes are the Israelites, okay? The people of God worshiping Yahweh. And on the western slopes are the Philistines. They come, they're a tribal, they're known to be very aggressive in their tribal behaviors. And they were very skilled in their military practices. They would regularly take their war victories into the house of their idols and celebrate spiritually. So they were really spiritual people, tons of idols they were worshiping. Their primary god they worshiped was called Dagon, the fish god. So the Philistines representing Dagon, the fish god, are on one, on the western banks of the Valley of Elah. On the eastern banks are the Israelites representing Yahweh, the one true God. And here's how it worked back in that day. It was kind of like their version of USC, 
kind of UFC fighting, ultimate fighting championship. It was the UFC meets like Navy SEALs kind of thing. So it's kind of like the Navy SEALs meets UFC. They send a representative from each warring army down to the center of the valley. And whomever wins that particular battle, the other side is declared to be victorious, and then they go and they basically trash all the other people on the other side. But instead of like, the picture isn't kind of like Braveheart-like where they're all rushing at each other. It's really, they're all standing on the top with their, you know, cheering and shouting, and then they send their representative down into the valley to go ultimate fighting champion, winners declared, and that's the setting we find in 1 Samuel 17. So here's who the Philistines trot out. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, that was the capital city of the Philistines, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. It took me to my junior year in college to weigh that. So I'm like, he's, his armor weighs as much as I weighed for a good portion of my life there. That was on the outside of his body. His legs, he wore bronze grease, bronze javelin slung on his back. Verse 7, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, 15 pounds. Think bowling ball. The last time. So here's Goliath, nine feet tall, intimidating, buffed, 125 pounds of armor with the spear. The tip of the spear weighs as much as a bowling ball. They send their all-star to the UFC fight. Now, what do you think the reaction on the Israelite side of the camp is at this point? All right, so, so here's what's going on. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So here's Israel watching this, and then they hear Goliath say, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So he's saying, you stand out there, he's strutting, he's saying, bring your man down here, it's game on. And their response, look verse 11. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul, king of Israel, and the Israelites were dismayed, circle that, and terrified. Probably an understatement, right? So they're like, this is looking really bad. Like we got no one on our side of the camp to even hold a candle to what's standing down there in the valley of Elah, so they're scared. Kind of a theme will run through the whole story. Saul and the Israelites towering in fear. Okay, so that's kind of the, we got character, main character number one is Goliath. Now the, the second main character of the story, he's not even on the scene yet. So David is doing what David has always done to this point. You remember, he's the eighth son, so he's the youngest son. So Saul and all of his boys are out kind of on the front lines in the Valley of Elah dealing with this mess. And David is doing kind of military chores for the crew. Isn't this amazing? Like just picture the character of David here. So David's given instructions to basically take a section of food, like take some bread and some cheese to the troops. And he, and he does it in, in a way that the the, the, those at the front of the line are like, hey, we need, some, we need some supplies. David's the one delivering the supplies. And now verse 16, here's what happens. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So verse 17, so over a month, this scene goes on. 
Goliath trots down, screams at the Israelite camp. Somebody needs to come down and fight. The Israelites are terrified. They kind of cower in fear. They don't send anybody down. This goes on for over a month. David's taking supplies out to the military leaders in verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah, which is about 20 quarts of roasted grain, and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So get a report how things are going on the front lines. Isn't this an amazing picture of David's life and just how he carried on his responsibility? So he takes all the supplies up there. And here's what we're going to look at through the, through the story. We're going to kind of harvest out three, what I would call like, insights into what do we do when we're staring at our own nine-foot Goliath? What, what does David and how he approaches this show us to see our Goliath fall? And the first one I wrote down this way is that you see David now inserted on the scene. He's thrust into this setting simply by being obedient in obscurity, not like preoccupied at being a hero. He's not He's not trying to strive to be superior. He's just being obedient in the obscurity, not striving through superiority. And I think there's something very telling here. You see a lot about David's interior world here. Remember, he was just anointed last week's message. He was anointed as the king about to rule. Saul's still in line. David's the anointed one to come. And here he is carrying bread and cheese to the troops at the front. And then he sees this mess going on down in the valley, and he's thrust into the middle of this battle scene simply by being obedient to the small and simple things he was given to do. And perhaps that might be an insight for some of us here today. Maybe in the midst of whatever battle you're facing, the step the Lord is asking you to take these days is simply be obedient in the small things that you're dealing with. And trust God in those small things, and he'll link it up. David could have never imagined that taking bread and cheese would turn into eventually executing Goliath. But that's where the steps are. He's just being faithful, doing what he's supposed to be doing, not striving to be a hero, not preoccupied with superiority, just being David. And that's his character coming out. And now look at verse 22 when he's going down to take those supplies. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Same scene. Now look, David's here now. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David's now speaking up and go, what's up with this mess? Who's going to deal with this problem? Uncircumcised is Bible word for not the people of God. So a mark of the people of God was circumcision. He's like, hey, what's up with this nine foot, yeah, he's just yapping and he's worshiping a fish god. Who's going to deal with him in the name of the one true God, Yahweh? So David's like, we got to get rid of this. I mean, here's this guy just eighth in family line, taking supplies to the front. Everyone else is towering in fear. David, he's seeing something nobody else is seeing. Now, you would think if you were, if you were the Israelite camp and it's been going over a month, you would think, finally, someone with a little courage now. You might get an amen from the camp, you would think, right here, don't you think? Like somebody would say, amen, somebody's going to deal with this mess. 
in the name of Yahweh, we're going to take down Dagon. And now look what happens. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, he's the oldest son, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, at David. And he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Are you kidding me? Check that out. Verse 29. Now, what have I done? David's like, what's a Man, Eliab broke up on the wrong side of the bed, just jumping all over David. Can I even speak? Here's the key line. Underline this in your Bibles. Verse 30. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. So sometimes, right, sometimes as you step into the battle, as you're thrust into the setting, sometimes when you're taking a stand for God, you become a lightning rod for a lot of resistance to come against you. I mean, here's Eliab, his older brother, hating on him, right, judging his motives, his character, calling him out. I mean, here's David just trying to be like, carry his food to the front lines and somebody deal with this Philistine guy, and Eliab's like all over him. And I think here's the part of the story. David recognizes, though, there's a lot of ingredients here for an old-fashioned family fight thing. This is like, for some of you, it's a commentary on how your family gatherings go when you get the whole extended family together. Like somebody hating on somebody, saying something. For me as a pastor, I'm thrust into wedding and funeral situations a lot. And sometimes at that rehearsal setting, it's like, wow, there's a whole lot of stuff that starts coming out at the rehearsal when so-and-so says to so-and-so, and then it's on. And then you're just like, wait, you know, and I just kind of referee, I put the stripes and the whistle and the flag and just said, we're going to referee this thing. And, and let's remember the big picture of why we're all here. Here comes the bride. And this is supposed to be, you know, like, like, oh, yeah, yeah. But they're ready to throw down, right, in the back of the rehearsal. And like, what's up with this? This is kind of that setting here. Family dynamics, a lot of resentment, anger, bitterness. There's a battle. All this stuff gets pressed. Here's the wisdom of David. So the first thing is David resolves to be obedient in the small things. Obedient in obscurity, not preoccupied with superiority. The second principle we see from this story now is this line from verse 30. He turns away from Eliab. He's discerning. He knows the true battle to fight. Right? I put that in your notes that way. That he, he, David understood which battle to fight, and here's the key, which one not to fight. Have you ever noticed how easy it is in life to kind of get distracted in the wrong battles. I know in my own life, I can spend all my energies on the Eliabs, and I've got nothing left for the Goliaths. I just get so distracted. I, I, I just get derailed. I'm like, I'm over here, right, dealing with this, and this Goliath is down here in the valley, and I need to put my time and energy here. David was so, do you see how he turned away? He's like, hey, Eliab's thrusting his finger right here. He's like, hey, come on, and he's just like, he had enough wisdom, maturity. I think it's beams of his interior world were strong enough to discern my real battle isn't with you, buddy. My real battle's right here. A nine-footer named Goliath, and we're going to deal with it. But he had to turn. You see that? So yesterday, we're at Avon Tennis Tournament, Saturday morning, and, you know, it's like, you know, those tournament settings and all kinds of parents and everybody around, a bunch of teams, and and Kaylin, our eighth grader, and her partner Hannah were playing first match, and they were up 2-0, and it was going great. And the Z West parent gang, we were there cheering and yelling that way. And I was standing, so it was me, and like the fence is like right here for the match. I'm standing there. And just as they finished their second point, we're like clapping. Way to go, girls. One of the, the opposing team's coach, whom I'll name, leave nameless, so, so he goes like 20, he's probably 20 feet away from me over here, and he just yells across this crowd of people. He's like, hey, you can't stand there. I'm like. 
I didn't think he was talking to me at the moment. I look over and I, I realize he's talking to me. He's like, hey, you can't stand there. You need to step back. And I'm like, and there's literally, it's that moment, you know, like those of you who watch The Office, it's that panning moment, like where the, the camera goes and it's super awkward for everybody. Like, we're all like looking at him like there and go, okay, so I just go. I mean, look, I'm like, there's a fence, there's be like, and he goes. Now, I have to confess, the things that were going through my head at this moment were not very pastoral. Are you with me? Like, I was ready to go alive on this story a little bit here. You know, here's Kalen Hannah just out here playing tennis, and this guy, I just step back, and it goes on, so I just kind of collect myself, don't say anything, right, let the scene go, and... Two hours or so goes by. We're there for many hours for the tournament. And a uh, match goes on. We're playing another match down there. And this coach, he, he comes and finds me. And I'm kind of standing a little bit by myself at this point. And he comes up to me and he extends his hand. And he says, hey, I'm really sorry for how I behaved earlier today. That's on me. He goes, that, that was uncalled for. He said, the real issue was your team was up to zero I'm coaching the team down 0-2. I was upset with how they were playing, and I took it out on you. And he said, I'm sorry about that. How upstanding of him, right? It made me super grateful that I didn't say what I was thinking of I was going to say. <laughs> we would have to have a whole other conversation, right? But I just tried to, at least in that moment, just use self-control and let it all roll and in that. But but listen, we, we've all got our own Eliabs, do we not? Doesn't everybody have an Eliab going on somewhere? A situation, a person, a setting, a circumstance that's just begging for you to just spend all kinds of energy and all kinds of attention, defend yourself, get this right. And by the way, I think the enemy has set this scheme up pretty well. Hey, he's going to set up circumstances to get us to put all our energy on the Eliab so we got nothing left for the Goliaths. By the way, the Goliath down the Valley of Elah ravaging the valley, but I'm distracted over here. How it could be like, this is what God wants. And when you step towards God and his purposes, just know this. You're going to become a lightning rod for the Eliab situations. So for some of you who've just taken steps forward, I mean, how inspiring is it for young Nicole's story this morning? How inspiring is that young lady? Right? How powerful is that? <laughs> Nicole, so proud of you for taking a stand, and your whole family. I remember the first day the Cook family, and it streams in from the Culver's family, and just being good friends and good neighbors and just not giving up and how God keeps pursuing and how we don't give up on each other. But Nicole, she's learning this. As she takes steps forward and step out, right, there's going to be this, you, we need people in our life to help us navigate what voices we're going to listen to. This is the power of community. This is what Nicole's finding, the gift that the body of Christ, the gift of spiritual friendships, the gift of wise counsel. Like, who am I going to listen to? Because here's David in the middle of this. He's got all kinds of voices coming at him. Now, Eliab's throwing him out saying, hey, you need to go back. You're just here to take over things and all that. And you'd think right here, now watch what Saul says. You think the king would be super grateful that someone from within the ranks isn't going to just cower down in fear, but is going to rise up and deal with it. So here's Saul's response, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. 
and he has been a fighting man from his youth. Boy, isn't, isn't, that, isn't that life right there? How many of us deal with Saul's voice? Here's the voice of Saul in a life. You're only. You're only the youngest. You're only the weakest. You're only the least. You're only the least trained. You don't, you're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not whatever enough. That's the voice of Saul. The voice of negativity. The voice trying to pull you down and get you not to step up and step out and take a stand for Christ. Anybody? And here's what we need. We need people in our life. We need the body of Christ around us to help us sift through and discern. Here's what David does. He turns away from Eliab's voice. He turns away from the, you're not only, you're only this voice of Saul, and he turns to God's voice. He says, well, Saul says, you're only this. You're only a boy. And he stands up and says, yeah, but the Lord says we're going to go deal with that in the name of Yahweh. So he knows to turn to listen to the right voices. And that's the power of spiritual friendship and the power of community. And our desire as a church is to have that. We want to be the kind of body where relationships of depth are cultivated to help us sift through this kind of battle. we got to have people to help us turn from the Eliabs, don't listen to the Sauls, put your focus on dealing with the Goliath at hand, and trust the Yahweh that's on your side. We need people to help us with. I know I do. Because I get so overwhelmed with the Eliabs or the Sauls. And this is what I love about our Wednesday nights have been going on. So many of you have been a part of our Wednesday night discipleship classes for men's and women's. Here's a couple picks from this uh, past few weeks. So Wednesday night, 80-plus men have been meeting in the loft. 90-plus women meeting down in the kids' worship room. Dealing with specific subjects, looking at God's word, but even above all the conversation, it's about relationship. It's about coming out of isolation. It's about becoming known. It's about inviting others into your journey and saying, you know what? I could use some help navigating this situation. I don't have to deal with all this alone. And I got others who can pray with me, help me, support me, guide me. It's this. If we're going to see the Goliaths fall in our life, I guarantee it's not going to be done alone. We're going to need help. We're going to need to support each other, pray for each other, celebrate the victories when they occur, hold our hands, stay right there, faithful to the plow, tune this voice out. Don't spend your energies there. Stay focused right there. It's the power of community that way. So the first principle you see from David is he's obedient in obscurity, not preoccupied with superiority. He's not trying to be a hero. He's just trying to be faithful. So who knows what happens when you're just faithful with whatever God gives you to do right where you're at. Second principle is we're going to have to figure out in the midst of our battles, what's the real battle at hand? Because we can spend all our energies on the Eliabs, and we got nothing left for the Goliaths. And we're going to need people around us to help us, right, to help us sort through what that's going to look like and how to work through it. And now the last section here, notice what happens. So basically um, Saul comes and he sees David's going to do it anyway. So he tries to like throw all of David's armor on him. He like suits David up in Saul's armor. Whole nother discussion for another day, right? You can't fight the battle the Lord has for you somebody else's way. You got to do it the way God's made you. You got to be you with the Lord. You can't go do it someone else's way. You got to do it the way the Lord's crafted you to do it. So he, he can't go fight Goliath Saul's way. He's got to go fight it the way God's made him David's way. And Saul's got all this armor, throws it on him, and he's just like kind of clumsy and doesn't fit. And he says to Saul, he's like, I can't go into battle like this. And he sheds it all off. And he's like, I'm a shepherd boy. Give me my sling. Give me my five smooth stones. I'm heading in. 
Now, the sling he was dealing with there now, it's one of those long, have you seen these long leather? Don't think like, you know, little Johnny in the backyard sling. Okay, guys, you got to get that out of your head. That's not how this is. It's one of those long leather straps with a big pouch at the end, and they'd whirl them. And when we were visiting Israel, uh, they said the locals would come out. They didn't come out the day where they were there, but they said locals will come out to the Valley of Elah, and they'll bring a sling that they thought David would have used, and they'll set up a target, hear this, 200 yards away. And they said the locals will hit the target with a smooth stone from Elah, and they said it'll sound like a bullet coming out of a gun. That's how strong the sling is. So listen, this isn't, you know, this is, and, okay, so this is the scene. So David's like, give me my sling. I got my stones. I'm going shepherd boy on this story. And he rushes down into the valley. Verse 43, look what he says here. This is uh, now Saul's resp- or, um, Goliath's response. says, I'm, am I a dog, as David rushes towards him, that you come at me with sticks? So Goliath's down there with his 125 pounds of armor, looking at David running down in his skivvies as a shepherd boy, okay? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, it feels a little bit like how pregame warm-ups are when we go to New England and we play the Patriots, okay? It feels a little bit like that at times, right? They're all running around, stutting, showing off all their bling and all that. Well, that's kind of what he's, he's got going right here. David said to the Philistines, now listen, David rises up. Ooh, now picture, this is our third principle here. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Notice that. Who is he defied? Whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses, notice plural, of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know, here's the so that, that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Oh, church, holy cow, how about that? How about David? So the third principle is there's only one giant in David's life. Stay with me here. There's only one giant in David's life. And Yahweh is so big in his eyes, it just right-sized Goliath right in front of him. To everyone else on the scene, they saw a nine-foot giant. You know what David looked at? He looked at it and saw it in light of the backdrop of the supremacy and majesty and the glory of Yahweh. He just strutted straight in there with his sling and his smooth stones and his shepherd's bag. And he says, today you go down because you've been defying, not me. It's not a, notice, it's not really a David and Goliath battle. It's not really a Philistine-Israelite battle. You see what he's elevating it to? It's a Yahweh, Dagon, today the fish god falls. Do you see that? That's what he said. This is where this is going. He's like, so he just rushes towards him. Can you see him? And this, the other thing I learned when I was over there, the Philistine headpiece. So they had this massive shield that protected their head. Do you know the one opening that they couldn't protect was the breathing area at the bottom? So they think David, obviously quite a bit shorter than nine feet. They said the angle with which David would have slung the stone would have been perfectly in trajectory to slide up under the face shield right here. And they believed the rock, wherever the rock is at, picture that impaling right here under the nasal cavity up into the forehead area. One side. 
Do you, what's David seeing when he walks? I, I put the principle in your note, David's giant right-sized Goliath right there. Six times in verse 45 to 47, he says, God or the Lord. Do you see that? And I was struck by this. Could it, could it be that Saul was so Goliath-focused and the net result was fear? David was so God-focused, and it propelled courage. Do you see that? He was so focused on Yahweh that he had the courage. No doubt there was some adrenaline flow in there. No doubt there was. But he's, pre- he's not towering in fear and terrified. Remember, he was just taking food and cheese and bread to the troops, and now he's running towards the nine-foot giant with a sling because he, had just had, he, he saw some things no one else saw. And I don't know about you, but I know for my own life, so what happened is I can know my Goliaths too well and my God too little. I can, I can have a PhD on my Goliaths. Anybody else been there? Or I could get so focused on all the things that are overwhelming, circumstances that are way out of bounds, situations that look insurmountable, nine-foot giant. After I can be so focused on all my nine-foot giants, PhD in how well I know my Goliaths, and David challenged me with this. If you know, take all that energy and get to know your God, and I think you'll see a shift from fear to courage, from fear to courage. Because some of you, gang, right here we sit, Mother's Day 2019, and there's no lack of Goliaths and nine-foot nine foot battles all of us in this room are staring at. Some of you going through multiple, you feel like you've got an army of Goliaths staring at you. And what would it be like if we just saw a little bit more of the heart and eyesight of David propelling us to enter into our week ahead? Maybe there's something going on at home and you just look at you just go, that's a nine. But just to look at in the, in the backdrop of Yahweh set that nine-foot giant at home. Or conversation with doctors that just look like they continue to not know exactly what to do with your body or the body of a loved one. Set that under the backdrop of the glory and supremacy and majesty of Yahweh and his promises for your life. And see if the better we get to know our God, the more right size then our Goliath becomes. Notice the Goliath isn't fully removed. I'm just saying right size. David still had to deal with it. And let's see now what happened as he did that. Verse 48, here's how the story ends. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then he goes over and decapitates him, and then he parades the head out, and they're declared uh, the victors that way. Do you see the, the picture of David? So he's just, he's just resolving to be obedient. He's not preoccupied with being a hero. He's not trying to be Mr. Superiority. He's like, there's a mess down here in the valley. It needs to be dealt with. Who's going to stand up in the name of Yahweh and deal with this mess called Goliath? He moves forward and said, I will. A whole bunch of people come start hating on him, right? He's got Eliab's coming at him. He's got Saul coming at him. He needs the wisdom to know what battles to turn away from so he can put his energies on the real Goliath at hand. And then thirdly, I'm so challenged by David this way, that he knew his God so well that it just right-sized the Goliath right in front of him. 
And maybe that's a gift that today is. You come into the sanctuary on today, and maybe that's one of the pictures we have of why we gather every seven days, and the worship team leads us in song, or we hear an inspiring story like we heard from Nicole today, or you open up God's Word, or you build some community, you have some conversations with some friends, you pray together, and maybe as you exit and you hit your cars, maybe maybe what happens is it's just a shift. It's a reframing of current reality that happens. You're still facing your current realities this afternoon and tomorrow and Tuesday, but perhaps they're just right-sized under the glory and splendor and majesty of this God of King David before us. So worship team, come on up. Here's how we're going to wrap it up. I've got one final story, and then we're going to sing a song together. C.S. Lewis, anybody love C.S. Lewis and his book, Prince Caspian? I love this part of the story. So you guys know the story, right? The Chronicles of Narnia story. There's this scene where Lucy has been away from Aslan. Aslan's the Christ figure. She's been away from Aslan for a period of time. They haven't seen each other for a while. And so it's kind of a reunion moment. And here's, here's the setting. Here's the conversation. Welcome, child, Aslan says to Lucy. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, hit this line. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Wouldn't that be a wonderful commentary on our lives? That every year we go, God and his glory and his power and all that he is for us in Jesus, that God just gets a little bit bigger year after year, and then that just reframes and right-sizes every single Goliath we're staring at. And then in Jesus' name, I think what we'll find is a little more courage rising up and a little more wisdom to know where to put our energies. And by the power of his spirit, we'll see some Goliaths fall. Let's pray. Lord, just so aware a story like this, all the battles that we're facing, some so fresh in this room, some that have been going on for a really long time, and then everyone in between. Lord, would you just come now and would you just lift up our eyes afresh? Would you enlarge our vision for how great a God you are, how powerful you are, that you are Yahweh, King of kings and Lord of lords. You are majestic in all your ways. The world is firmly established and can't be moved. Your throne was established long ago. We say with the psalmist, Yahweh, Malach, the Lord reigns. Give us eyes to see that today. Whatever personal Goliath we're staring at, reframe it now, I pray. Pray that you'd begin to slay anxiety and worry and fear and discouragement in Jesus' name. I pray you'd bring down the Goliath of lust and pornography in Jesus' name. I pray that you would slay that that dragon of betrayal and the unresolved hurt and bitterness, Lord, that you'd bring these Goliaths down in Jesus' name. That you'd set us free. That you'd cleanse the valley of Elah that we find in all of our lives. Come have your way. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us.
We worship you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.